Good afternoon and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast with your hosts, Tim and Tom. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm great, thanks, Tim. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, some of our more loyal listeners will uh, remember the expression to have Euro fever. Have you got World Cup fever? I have. I can feel it burning inside me. Uh, the flame is getting bigger and bigger. So I'm sure by next week, I'll have a raging fever and be, uh, I'll be, I'll tell you what I'll be doing. I'll be trying to organize my life around every game so I can see literally every single group game that's possible. I don't know if my wife will like that, but that's what I'll be trying to do. Yes, I'm doing similar things. I'm trying to uh, think of educational reasons uh, to integrate World Cup matches into my classes. Uh, there are some clashes. And when I say a clash, two things happening at the same time, which are incompatible. So I'm looking for a way to make them compatible. Um, Tom, very exciting. We are one week away from the first game of the 2022 Qatar World Cup. And... Um, Everyone's looking forward to it um, for footballing reasons, of course. Uh, the World Cup is the, the festival of football. It's the thing we all grow up dreaming about doing, uh, about competing in, about winning. Um, but also there are there is another side of the, uh, the debate, um, and that's about a couple of uh, more ethical, moral issues surrounding the, the Qatar World Cup. And that's what we're going to look at today on LeftPod. Um, Excellent. I've seen these issues have resurfaced in the media again. I'm seeing more stories about these issues. Are, are we talking about human rights, for example? We are talking about human rights, Tom. Tom, just uh, so you know, um, I do like the World Cup, and for that reason, I'm supporting many sides, mainly England, but one of the sides I'm supporting is Spain. So you can see I've got my Spain shirt on here, but it's a bit hot. So whip out my Morocco shirt. You know, we are a multicultural society here on the Left Pod uh, podcast, and uh, well, we don't like to exclude any listener. That's fantastic, Tim, because where we are in the southeast corner of Spain, many of our, our neighbours are Moroccans, so they'd be delighted to see you in that shirt. Yes. Right. Tom, let's jump straight into the controversies. Let's get our teeth into the meaty issues. And to get your teeth into an issue is to, uh, to, to, to try and attack a, a difficult question. And a meaty issue is, uh, is a topic that has lots of things to talk about, lots of debates to be had. And this is a really meaty issue. The first topic we're going to talk about is uh, workers' rights um, there's been lots of uh, stories about horrific working conditions for the immigrant workers, mainly from uh, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, the Philippines, um, and the conditions they face whilst working and their, 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 the labor laws surrounding them, the protections they have that we, we might take for granted in Europe, for example, to take something for granted is to to, to, to see it as normal and not to value something that maybe other people would value. Uh, so, for example, right. when I lived at home, I think a lot of uh, Arsenal fans took winning the league for granted when we had uh, Omri and Vieira and the like. Um, so I, I'll throw a couple of stats at you, Tom. Um, Amnesty International have said that there have been 6,500 deaths Um of uh, immigrant workers since the the World Cup was uh, awarded to Qatar, they are statistics based on uh, embassy information. So the embassies of each of their countries reporting on the deaths of workers uh, in that uh, in Qatar. However, 
Um, there is some dispute over some of these numbers. Um, Qatar, the Qatari authorities say that uh, Qatar is a country full of immigrant workers. Um, and for, in fact, for every uh, one Qatari, there are seven immigrant workers in, 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 in the country. And these figures don't only count for people who are working on the World Cup construction sites, for example. Apparently, according to Qatar, they could also be uh, people working in, in homes, uh, being carers, being cleaners, people dying of old age, people dying of things that aren't related to, to being... Um, to, to working in horrific conditions so tom do you have anything really to comment where do you think we can find the truth uh according to qatar there have been 37 deaths um according to uh, in the whole period according to amnesty international 6500 there's a big difference between these two numbers they both can't be true um do you have any thoughts on any of this Yes, I do. Yes. Uh, I, I've never been to Qatar, but I have spent time in Dubai and in Kuwait, and they have very similar demographics. By demographic, I mean the, the mix of ethnicities that make up the total population of the country. And uh, as a result, it, it, I certainly agree that uh, one local Qatari for seven immigrants is true. Uh, I don't have reason to doubt the amnesty statistics. I can I can believe they are true. However, you make a very good point that these statistics include people who are not part of the construction of the stadia, which does suggest that someone, perhaps a journalist who wanted to make an argument about uh, human rights or the lack of human rights in Qatar, was cherry picking this statistic. By cherry picking, I mean choosing a statistic that built the strongest case for the arguments they were making. Uh, I like that. I like that verb, to cherry pick, to choose the bit that suits you, to choose the best bit for you, yes. Exactly. Sorry. Yes, and, and the problem we have then is we need real data. We have a big difference, as you say, 37 deaths or 6,500 deaths, but those 6,500 deaths could include all the other immigrants who contribute uh, as the labour force for the Qatari economy. So I would be ready to dismiss that number of 6,500 from Amnesty and say, unless Amnesty can present accurate statistics of the numbers of construction workers dying while building the stadia, uh, then it means nothing. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, but at the same time, for example, I've been uh, investigating these Qatari numbers as well, the 37 deaths, and uh, apparently they don't include... Uh, heart-related diseases, uh, heart-related problems, so heart attack, respiratory diseases, stroke, uh, or heat stroke. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously, and these are these are conditions that are that can be provoked by working in extreme heat, by being uh, dehydrated from not having enough water. So I think the point is here, and I, I do agree what, with what you say about potentially the Amnesty International figures. But the point is here, the Qatari figures also seem to be lacking in accuracy so what what the real problem is here is if you are an innocent person someone who's just you know wants to know news wants to know information but at the same time doesn't want to make a huge effort to go out and get it basically means you're probably going to believe either one figure or the other figure without without having um knowledge of of the potential weaknesses behind that data and i think that is a problem because that basically means that both sides can invalidate the argument of the other side. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 when, and when no one's right, 
that that doesn't help the discussion either and that doesn't help the workers either um on that comment think... you made about the heat uh it was a bit of a joke in dubai and in kuwait because there are official labor laws that the labor force is not allowed to work if the temperature rises to above 50 degrees celsius however the running the long running joke which i believe there was some truth to it was that the temperature never rose above 49.9 degrees Celsius. It was always fixed at a maximum height of that to enable the workforce to keep working regardless of how hot it really was in, in those conditions. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, we see in the south of Spain, the working conditions in the, in the height of summer, in the very hottest part of summer, are not pleasant to be outside. And, and this is even hotter than here. Um, I think at the heart of the problem here is essentially the system of labour regulation. Um, and that's the kafala system. The kafala system is a, is a different system of, of, of rule. Uh, of labor laws can, compared to what we're used to in Europe or America. The kafala system is essentially like giving a lot of power to the employer. Uh, these people come over, there are recruitment fees. So when they arrive, they're in debt. Uh, they have to hand over their passports um, to change job. They have to have permission from their sponsor. Their sponsor is their employer to leave the country. They have to have permission from their sponsor as well. Now, on just to forget what might or might not have happened in terms of the conditions or the deaths that have happened i think there can be no argument that these these labor these labor conditions are very likely to provoke exploitation when all of the power is in the hands of the employer and the workers have got absolutely no rights um, then it is a dangerous situation i've heard i've read for example first hand reports of uh, people desperate to go home to their country and being made to sign documents to say that they've received their wages as a way to get their passport so they can go home. So essentially, the, the labor contract they've got, this kafala system, which is three, four hundred years old, it's been operating in this part of the world for a very long time, it comes from the Arabic word to adopt, um, is a very antiquated way of, of running a, a, an economy, of controlling workers. And I think this is the heart of the problem. And this takes me to my next point, which is, um, is any of this a surprise? Did, did we not know that Qatar operates this kind of this system when when the when the World Cup was awarded to Qatar by Sepp Blatter and his cronies? And when I say a crony, what's a crony, Tom? A crony describes a, a gangster. Typically, it describes someone who is prepared to break the law and is working alongside another group of gangsters. Yeah, so that's that's so his cronies is his his social group of criminals, basically. Um, and yeah, so really, I I don't think Qatar is doing anything or behaving in this in this on this topic in a way which is surprising or should be surprising to anyone who's who's had their eyes open over the last 30 years. So if we take it to the next level, who is culpable if there have been deaths because of poor working rights or poor health and safety conditions on the building sites? If there have been deaths, avoidable deaths, then who's who's responsible? Who should be legally responsible? Should it be Qatar, which is doing what it's always done? Or should it be the European countries, the African countries, the, the Asian countries, the South American countries whose delegates were happy to accept Rolex watches, were happy to accept envelopes with, with 10,000 euros in, were happy to accept 
two million pounds donations to their local footballing FA to build a new youth academy in an area which hasn't had a youth academy. So who 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 should who should face the responsibility for this? Don't get me wrong, Tom. I am feeling a little bit hot over here. Uh, and uh, one of my favourite teams in World Cup history, one of my favourite goals, Maxi Rodriguez, uh, Mexico-Argentina, World Cup oh. 90, uh, 2010. What a goal. Um, and who's the goal? Who's the goalkeeper? Campos. Yes. Uh, back in the day. He, well, um, Blanco, always... Hernandez on the left. Some yes. great contributions Don't Mexicans forget the, have made the to the World Cup over the Marquez, years. The ex-Barcelona centre-back, yes. Marquez. Fantastic. So, uh, Tom... Going yes. back to the question, who, who who's responsible, responsible for this? Well, you touched on it. You, you used the word who should be legally responsible. And there, I think we find the heart of the problem. Uh, this problem has been building over many years. We see the same problem, not just with FIFA when delegating the World Cup, but also with the official Olympic Committee when choosing who to host. And we have these problems with black, uh, should we say money in brown paper envelopes, going under the table in illicit fashion. Bribery is the word, bribery. So the, the problem has been building. The problem is, is that these organizations, FIFA or the International Olympic Committee, are not held legally accountable to anyone. They are the masters of their own domain. They have a level of power, which means that they can delegate and adjudicate against these issues of corruption and just miraculously, they find themselves all innocent of corruption. So it enables the problem to persist and come back. And I think Qatar was a culmination of what had been building over um, many decades. I think um, the fact that they awarded, uh, they went against the trend, the trend is always to award one World Cup at a time. The fact that they went against the trend and they awarded both those World Cups, the Russia 2018 and the 2002 World Cup at the same time, really opened itself up to a massive opportunity for corruption. Because instead of having to control opinion at two points in history, you just had to control opinion at one point in history. You just had to pay one person at one point in history. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that was dangerous. Um, I remember the disappointment I felt when when the 2018 World Cup was awarded to Russia. Um, I'm not saying it was a bad destination to go, but I do think England uh, was knocking on the door. I do think it was our turn. Maybe that's a, um, uh, a selfish or a, an insular perspective. But that, that, but I mean, everyone was surprised when it was Qatar. But the problem was the, the to compete for Qatar was the USA. And let's not forget the USA had the World Cup in 1994, which isn't so long ago. So. I can imagine there were, and also, why were the USA first in the list before Qatar got there? You know, they probably weren't the first in the list for innocent reasons either. They'd probably pushed some influence, some soft diplomacy, you know, invest in our country, send your child to Harvard. So the, it, it's, 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 it's a case of the pot calling the kettle black in certain situations. And that means the pot calling the kettle black is a, an expression to mean one side which is committing crimes, criticizing another side for committing crimes, or one side which is doing something wrong, criticizing another side for doing something wrong. Obviously, we can argue about degrees of wrong, um, but it's a very difficult situation. Really, for me, the two major questions are, uh, and this is where we'll see if the the care on these topics is genuine or if it's just um, fashionable to care, um, is uh, 
What will happen after the World Cup? Will Qatar, Qatar have spoken about changing their labour laws, about implementing changes. They say things are getting better. What will happen after the World Cup? Will Qatar revert to, to normal? That means go back to their normal way of operating. Or will they continue trying to implement changes and continue trying to improve workers' rights? And the second topic, uh, second question, the important question is, how much will the world care once the World Cup has finished? Will these, will these journalists continue writing articles about workers' conditions in Qatar? Or will they, for example... Um, I don't read newspaper articles about working conditions in, in, in Dubai, in Abu Dhabi, in Saudi Arabia. I don't read any of those articles and there's no World Cup in those countries. So I have a suspicion that once the the hype, the the media storm around the Qatar World Cup is finished, then people will just go back to normal. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, this Qatar story serves a, a dominant narrative. And the dominant narrative, by that I mean uh, a popular story that is projected onto us through the media repeatedly and regularly over a long period of time, is that uh, the, the story of Western exceptionalism. The idea that uh, because we have very liberal countries in comparison with other parts of the world, where we have given these rights to, to minorities and we, we have laws to protect them, uh, it enables us to, or enables our media to push this idea out there that we are superior, that we are better places to live. Now, a part of this is of course true. Uh, I think many people in, whether in Qatar or India or Africa, uh, or Japan, wherever, many people would still want to come to Western countries to live here. Uh, there are many things that are better about where we are. But from my own experience, having lived in that part of the world as well, I feel that we have been bombarded in the West with very negative press on the Middle East. And uh, I ask myself why, because when I live in the Middle East, I see that, of course, you're living in benign dictatorships. You're living with a level of autocracy, which we don't like. We want to live in countries where we have the right to vote. But when you actually live there, you realize that there are other things that are better about living in those countries than what we have here. But this story can come about and push this idea upon us, uh, our populations in the West, that make us feel that we live in a better country than them. So I feel like this agenda of attack Qatar does serve the purpose of what I call the Western exceptionalism narrative. Well, I mean, one example of that, if you were, for example, a, a refugee arriving in the UK and that you uh, you arrive illegally, you know, you're pr it's probably going to take five years to, for your uh, asylum claim to be processed. So essentially, that's a system which is going to force you to work illegally for five years. So... Mm -hmm. Some maybe from the outside would look at the British system and think, ah, they've created a system which creates a five year gap where people can be exploited. And maybe if you were from a country which had a high percentage or a high number of immigrant of, of asylum seekers or refugees to the UK, then maybe you could think that the UK system was designed 
to to punish people from your country. So you're right. It does depend on how you look at it. It really does depend on how you look at I'd it. I'd like to um, add one one more comment just briefly as well. When we uh, make these arguments against Qatar, often the, the fingers are pointing at the Qatari authorities, which will be the, the autocracy, the royal family who are in charge. Uh, and we tend to hold them responsible for these labor conditions, for these anti-gay laws, all of this stuff we blame on the people in power who have the power to change the laws. Uh, but what we don't consider so much is that many of the people who live in these countries grow up with very different values from us. And if they could, they would choose to live under more conservative systems of government. And not only that, many of the immigrants, not, not many, sorry, the vast majority of the immigrants who come into these countries are actually very satisfied and would continue to live there if they can, because they find that the living conditions are superior to the places where they've come from. Um, potentially, I, I don't know about that last comment, if if the vast majority um, would prefer it and if the living conditions are better. I think, again, that is that is a thing which in the modern climate, in the modern world, is very difficult to say one way or the other. Because where you get your information from essentially determines the, the kind of information we get. Um, I think it's very difficult to make a what we call a sweeping generalization is to a sweeping generalization is when you say something very general, which includes maybe more than it should. But I, I definitely accept that within the within the group of immigrant workers working on the building sites, there will definitely be people who who wanted that job. There'll be definitely be people who the money is is maybe changing the lives of their families back home. Um, but I I I I I'm I'm don't want to go as far as to say that the majority want to be there or not, because I simply don't feel comfortable enough with any of the data mm -hmm. I've received or any of the reports I've received. Tom, okay, I'm speaking anecdotally here. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. From my experience where the, the, the labor workforce are actually a very small minority of all the immigrants who are in these Middle Eastern countries. But for countries. example, I had, uh, I've got some, I've had some friends who've lived in Qatar and, um, you know, they were um, they were a civil partnership. They weren't officially married under the guise of God. Um, and they were very worried about, for example, the uh, woman becoming pregnant while they were living there. Uh, and these were middle, you know, these were Spanish people in good jobs in Qatar. And so I do think when when because why? Because to get out of the country, even in middle class jobs, you need your your employer's uh, permission. So I do think it is a very different society. And I do think the working conditions are different when you have so little control over your own destiny. Um, but yeah, I think, Tom, I think we've covered that. And I think we've got another uh, big thing to cover. And you've already briefly mentioned it there. So I think I'm going to use your your link to link us through to our next topic. Um, another big topic uh, that uh, has been in a lot of the press uh, around the world um, uh, has been the, the, the treatment of homosexuality uh, and homosexuals in Qatar, uh, both uh, just the standard for of uh, the standard law, the norm there is that homosexuality is illegal. It can be punished for seven years in seven punished by seven years in prison, um, and 
outward symbols of homosexuality, affection in the streets are illegal and are, if they're not illegal, they're definitely frowned upon. And when they're fr- when I say frowned upon, I say, uh, I mean to be badly seen. Now, a frown this, is the opposite of a smile. Isn't yes. It? The frown is the facial expression, which you can only draw. You can't actually frown. Um, <laughs> I think it's impossible to make your, your mouth move the other way. But anyway, um, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult topic, Tom, again, uh, because the world's a big place. And the world's a place which has many different values, uh, many different um, reasons for the for the cultures we have. Um, I think societies develop at different speeds um, and progression isn't always lineal. Uh, You can go forward, you can go back, you can go forward very quickly and then have a period of pause and and vice versa. Um, And essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a universal concept of morality which fits for everyone. And and I think that's impossible. Um, But... There have been lots of criticisms of of um, of Qatar. There's been uh, people saying they want to wear rainbow colored uh, captain's armbands, rainbow colored um, uh, laces in the football boots. Uh, there's uh, been people uh, hoping that uh, professional footballers come out during the World Cup. To come out is to reveal your sexuality publicly. Usually um, revealing that you are gay. Yeah. yeah, or 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 trans, or bi, or or, or whatever. But probably normally not the kind of the standard kind of um, heterosexual. Uh, if you're coming out, it means you're normally declaring you're not heterosexual. Um, and and in Western Europe, these are values that to to a lot of us uh, just seem second nature. We take them for granted. Again, we take it for granted that someone can be gay and feel comfortable. We take it for granted that uh, two two men or two women can kiss in the street and that should be okay. But uh, at the same time, we don't live in a utopia uh, here. Uh, Homosexuality is something which uh, can create problems uh, for people. There's a lot of homophobia. Uh, even in Spain, where we live, um, Spain's a very religious country, and some of the older generation uh, don't uh, don't accept family members who are who are who are homosexual. Um, so that, for me, is the context. That's the way I'm looking at this debate. I'm looking at this debate thinking there's a country, there's a culture in the world which I di- I have different values to, but I'm also very, I find it very difficult to say that we have a better culture or we're right. I am right. We are right in the context of who we are and where we come from. Um, but let's not forget also where we came from, because in the until 1994, for example, the legal age of consent for gay sex was 21 in the UK, but it was only 16 uh, for heterosexual sex. So until 1994, so well in our lifetimes, uh, homosexuality was treated differently in in, in the UK. Uh, we can look at Florida uh, in the United States. They want to bring in a policy which is don't say gay, uh, basically trying to avoid uh, symbols of homosexuality um, in public spaces, in schools, around young people. Now, I don't really see how much of a difference there is between the Florida don't say gay policy and the Qatar policy. Essentially, both of them look down on on signs of public signs of homosexuality. The big difference, of course, and I'm not going to deny it, is the level of, of punishment. But the, the root of, of the rule is the same for me. 
Um, Tom, I, I feel like I'm on, I'm on a bit of a monologue. What are, what are your opinions on this? Uh, well, regarding Florida, don't say gay. My, my instinct is uh, it's actually quite totalitarian to, to have any kind of law telling people what they can and can't say. I feel we've already, in the West, we've already entered these strangely bizarre dystopian times where uh, we identify what someone is allowed to say and what they aren't allowed to say based on the color of their skin. Uh, we, we claim to be fighting racism by using racism to determine who can say what. And this don't say gay seems to be a continuation of that. With regard to Qatar and homosexuality, uh, it is a difficult one because when you look culturally, uh, I'm reminded of this, the, the, the saying, the refrain, uh, oh, another shirt's coming up. Portugal. Portugal. You've right. got to get your local <laughs> colours out, you know, half Portuguese and all that. I, I'm reminded of the saying, what you resist persists. And when you have these conservative Muslim countries, which don't allow people to express their homosexuality uh, in public, it happens uh, equally uh, as much, but behind closed doors, behind the scenes. The name homosexual behaviour is not given to it, but it does happen there, just as it happens in the West, but in the West more openly. So my own personal view is, is that when it comes to homosexuality, uh, we should be more open and more accepting. And that's a, a Western view. I realize that I'm imposing on the Qataris that they should be like that. But equally, that's my own opinion. And if I go to Qatar, then I have to park my own values at the door. Uh, I think that's the same whenever you travel, wherever you go in the world. Uh, maybe you like to smoke marijuana, but if you're flying over to Malaysia, don't even think about taking your mar marijuana into that country. It's the same kind of thing. The values that you have will sometimes clash with the values of the country you're entering. And then I believe it's our duty as citizens, as travelers, travelers or as visitors or guests of the country to keep our own views and our behaviors to ourselves and not put them out there into those countries. Yeah, I, I agree to, a, to an extent. Um, again, I fully agree with you. I mean, uh, I, I, I personally would love it if, if anybody in the world could go to Qatar, be comfortable, be themselves, express themselves how they feel comfortable uh, and without not having a problem. Um, but I, I also think we need to respect, as you say, the culture that they come from. And let's let's not let's not face it. Uh, let's not um, confuse this. This is this is a religious thing. This is a religious thing. Homosexuality, according to the Quran, is haram, which means forbidden. But not only according to the Quran, according to the Bible, according to the Torah. Um, so, really, what we're doing is if we if we're telling the Qataris that, that they not allowed to have their values then what we're really doing is we're telling them that their god is wrong um and i personally don't have an issue with that because i don't have any uh religious callings but if i look at this on a on a global level and if i think uh if people come came to america and said your god is wrong if people went to israel and went said your god is wrong which is essentially what the western world wants to do um then I think they would also provoke strong local reactions. And I think this is, um, this is, I don't know if this is very clever marketing or if this is a genuine reaction, but I've seen the discourse, the, the narrative around this argument change in the last few weeks, almost in the last month, 
before it was uh, kind of open season for criticizing Qatar. Anybody can criticize Qatar. Nobody would say anything about that criticism. It was like any, it was perfect. It was an open door. But in the last month or so, there's um, there's been accusations of racism, of xenophobia uh, about the Qataris and 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 the and Islamic culture and and Islamic values and using the 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 liberal left wing uh, woke measure of of what is acceptable and unacceptable, then these criticisms fall foul to 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 these to these measures so i think it becomes very difficult to to go over there and say you can't think this when we've constructed our arguments about this about the individual experience so just like you said before about concepts of racism and how you were saying that some people what 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 some person what one person said isn't racist but when somebody else says it it is that is a kind of modern interpretation of, of, of essentially a postmodern society, which means that people do have individual truths. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we've constructed our society. And one of the individual truths that I think is true in Qatari or in, in a strongly religious society is that homosexuality, according to religion, is something which is which is forbidden. It's been for, and, and it's been forbidden for thousands of years. Good, Tim. So, I'm going to have to interrupt you because we've got less than a minute left on the Zoom call. I think we need a part two of this discussion. I uh, think we do. Let's continue. We, we can talk about public relations and the media because that was part that we've not talked about. We can talk about a little bit of philosophy as well. Of is it acceptable to tolerate? intolerable intolerant cultures but that's for another time i'm going to wrap up this episode and say if you've enjoyed what we're doing please leave us a review a rating on your podcast platform please share us with your friends and you can also follow us on tiktok on youtube you'll find the left pod uh, learn english football podcast channel there Oh, one more shirt. Just an England shirt to finish with. Come on, England. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you, Tim. That <laughs> it's was been a pleasure, Tom. Bye bye. See you later.